because I did this as well, and you probably did this too, is immediately when I knew I was in trouble, my, my intuition was to run away. I have to get away from this place. I got to get away from the trouble I'm going to get in, the discipline, whatever pain I might experience or, or loss of privileges. And so I got to get away from here. And I ran away and you ran away. And there's something about us as humans in which when we know we're in trouble, whether it's with each other or with God, we're getting out of here. And we see this at the very beginning. When we look at Adam and Eve, what is the initial reaction when they know that they've done wrong? They're hiding. They're running away. We got to get away from God. And that's exactly what we see in the story of Jonah. And if you're not um, a Bible person, you're not a church person, you're not really sure about this whole thing, the only thing that you know, maybe, when you hear about Jonah is something to do with a guy who gets swallowed by a giant fish. And you think, that's ridiculous, right? And we talked about this a little bit last week, is when we start to talk about this Bible story, um, we're talking about a guy who, you know, the big picture is, he ends up in, a, uh, in the belly of either a whale or a fish, doesn't really specify, for three days and three nights. And us, as kind of modern people, we look at a story like this and think that's ridiculous, that cannot happen. But we also discussed last week that if there is a God, that seems pretty easy for him to be able to do something like this. If he can create all of um, everything that we see, all material, everything in existence, I think having a guy live in a fish for three days isn't all that crazy. And so we started to look at the story, but not just as a story of, ooh, that's really interesting or that's a fun story, but what are the deep truths in this story? Because this story has lasted over 2,700 years. It's been told throughout the world, and people have always thought that this is a unique, profound, and insightful story. And so what can we learn from it, especially what can we learn about ourselves and, and God? And so we're going to... Uh, we're going to jump in, and if you have your Bibles, you got your Bible app, you can jump in. We're going to be in Jonah chapter 2. Last week, we went through chapter 1, and it's only, the story of Jonah is only four chapters, and so we can get through all of it pretty quick. We're going to do a chapter a week for the next couple weeks. Anyway, so last week, the big picture was this, is that Jonah got himself in trouble. He, is, he was called by God to go to the city of Nineveh, and um, if you don't know anything about the Bible, you have the, uh, the people of Israel. These are God's chosen people. And you have these people called prophets. Prophets are people who are sent by God as messengers to deliver a message. Sometimes it was to Israel. Sometimes it was to other people. And so he was called to go to this pagan city, Nineveh, in which they were not only enemies, but they were pretty ruthless. They would skin people alive, and they would just do pretty, pretty horrible things. He was called, called by God to go to this city and tell them, hey, you're screwing up, and if you don't turn around or turn your life around and give it over to God, uh, you guys are going to be wiped out. And so he was not at all excited about delivering this message, one, because he would probably be in danger himself. Two, he didn't think that they deserved forgiveness. And so instead of heading to Nineveh, he heads the opposite direction, jumps on a boat, and ends up, uh, God sends a storm, and we found out at the very end last week, he knew that the only way for the storm to stop was if they threw him overboard, and that's where we enter into the fish literally. Okay, um, so let's jump in. Where are we at here? Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, let me give you a couple recaps for those who weren't here. Um, other thing was, so we knew that Jonah was a runner. We also knew that there are consequences to running. There's always going to be consequences to running. We know this. You run from the law, there's consequences. You run from mom and dad, there's consequences. And so Jonah learned that there are the same consequences running away from, from God is when you run away, you may be able to run for a little bit. You can get away with it for a temporary matter, for, for a short period of time, but eventually the consequences will catch up to you. 
And this is not just true of our relationship with God, but this is true of every arena of life. And so if you're not sure about God, you're not sure about the Bible, anything, at least hear this, okay? This is real practical advice, is eventually, as you run, you have to realize that you cannot run forever, that the consequences will catch up to you. And if we just understood just this simple rule of how the world worked, we would avoid a lot of pain and shame and regret. Because I see this happen in my life, your life, and the world around us is, we, uh, we oftentimes will run financially. We'll rack up credit card debt. We will go out there and we will spend and we will live it up and we will buy things we can't afford. And for some reason, it's the craziest thing. We're able to do this and we know in the back of our mind, this is not gonna end well. And yet we just cha-ching, keep going, keep pushing, keep spending. But eventually there comes a time in which that bill literally comes due. The consequences consequences catch up to us is we have to start at least making minimum payments and it radically changes our financial world this is true uh physically is you might be able to avoid some kind of physical pain or some kind of health uh health issues by uh continuing to delay what is happening so if you maybe smoke or drink or you uh you eat badly you never exercise you, you can treat your body like that and you might be able to do it for a really long time but eventually it's going to catch up to you it's true relationally is um growing up i'm not proud of it but i relationally was pretty pretty much a mess and so uh, I would, you know, I would use people, I would treat them poorly, I would neglect them, uh, I would create unnecessary conflict. I would just relationally was a disaster, and eventually it catches up to you. You might be able to get away with it for a little bit, but it's going to catch up. It might catch up to you in your marriage, it might catch up to you in your business, but eventually there will be consequences for the way that you and I behave. Well, this is no more uh, true than it is in our spiritual world is... Um, we can run from God, but eventually he is going to get our attention. Just like you can try to run from all the consequences of your poor decisions in every area of life, you can run away from God, but the problem is you cannot outrun God. God will always catch up with you, and that's what we found out in the story of Jonah. For Jonah, the consequence of him running away from God was a, a storm and a fish in order to get his attention. For us, we don't know what the consequences are going to be. And look, I'm not here like, you know, say, you know, trying to preach hellfire and brimstone and you better, oh. I'm just telling you, this is how the world works. You don't have to believe there's a God to know this is how the world works. And if there is a God, you would imagine that this is how he works as well. And the reason why God does this is because um, he's not trying to pay us back for anything. God is not up there like a little kid with a magnifying glass and he's burning ants and he's just like, ah, I got him, you know, oh, I got him again. No, he's not interested in that. He, what God is really interested in is not paying us back, but winning us back. Because he loves us. He wants to see better for us. He is like any um, good parent. The reason why he will discipline us is because he wants to see us do better. And so um, you probably experienced this growing up, and you're now at the age in which you realize why your parents did certain things. It doesn't happen until you're like in college and after college that you start looking back at your parents and going, ah, they weren't like as dumb as I thought they were. Like I sort of understand now why they did it. I get it why they didn't want me to date that person, why they wanted me to succeed in this, why did they, why they pushed me so hard, why I got in trouble for these things is, oh, they were trying to save me from something because they loved me. And this is the same thing uh, as a parent that you will experience one day is you want to get a hold of your kid's attention. And the reason why, and I have to do this on a constant basis, my kids are little, you see them running around here, 
is I always have to discipline them. And it's not because I enjoy it. Trust me, I do not. It gets so old. You know, I just want to lock them in a closet and be like, Burp, you're done. <laughs> you know, like, but I have to constantly talk to them and tell them why and put them in time out and take away things. And it, it's just so much work. And the reason I do this is not because I want to get them back because they're annoying. The reason I do this is because I want them to grow up to be people who uh, are full of respect and can be able to accomplish things in their life. They won't continue to make the same stupid mistakes over and over and over again. God does the same thing for us. And some of us, um, we're facing some consequences in our life, and we haven't quite connected the dots yet, is we're facing some things in our life in which it's a bit messy, Maybe it's financial, maybe it's relational, maybe it's emotional, maybe it's even physical, and there's some stuff going on in our world, and it's chaotic, and it doesn't seem right, and you're going, God, why would you allow this to happen? And he's going, because you got to connect the dots. You're, you're rebelling, you're running away from me in this area of your life, and there's consequences that permeate every arena of your life. And so he might be trying to get your attention, again, not because he wants to pay you back, because he wants to win you back. He wants to get you back from these, uh, these poor decisions that, that we're making. All right, so here we go. Chapter two, verse one says this. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord. Now you, if you're not a, a church person, you, you're not too sure about all of this, I am willing to bet that the first time that you prayed in a very long time, maybe ever, was when you were in a moment of distress. It's almost never you're praying to God, especially if you're not a praying person, when things are going well. You almost never go, thank you, Lord, for this 100%. Thank you for this hottie. Thank you for this job. Thank you for whatever, okay? That is never what you are praying about. You are always praying about, okay, Lord, um, I'm about to face some consequences right now. I'm about to experience some pain. I'm about to, uh, I'm about to enter into something in which I never thought I would have to deal with. I'm going to have to admit something. I'm going to have to tell some people some stuff. I'm going to have to, oh, Lord, please help me, right? We've all had those conversations. We're driving home late at night going, Lord, if you get me out of this one, I'll totally follow you, right? We've all had those conversations with God, and this is where Jonah is at. And it doesn't matter how smart, good-looking, smooth, whatever you've accomplished, whatever you end up doing in your life, Everybody is going to have one of these moments or many of these moments. In fact, um, there's a saying, there's no atheists in foxholes. And the whole idea is this old school saying, and the idea is everybody claims they're an atheist until they're about to face death. And then all of a sudden they believe in a God because they need this God to save them. And I have seen this happen so many times, whether there's someone facing difficult circumstances for themselves or a family member. If they say they have no faith whatsoever, all of a sudden they go, God, if you're there, I really need you to show up right now. And it's because in these moments of distress, when we get to the end of ourselves, at the end of our power, end of our intellect and resources, and we feel totally powerless, there's nowhere for us to turn, there's something intuitive about us facing upward and saying, God, I need you to help me. I need you to save me. I have found myself in a really bad place. And Jonah continues on, and he answered me, from deep in the realm of the dead, this is kind of meaning like he's hit rock bottom. This could be his end. This is the, you know, this is the, the end of the rope. I called for help, and you listened to my cry. And this is going to be one of the big learnings that we're going to get from Jonah, is we've learned that God is going to be thorough in his discipline. 
right? And he does this because he loves us. Just like any good parent, he is not going to allow us to get away with stuff for very long. Eventually, we will experience the consequences of our, our, our actions and our behaviors. But we also learn from Jonah that in these desperate circumstances, these desperate people, even if it's the cause of their own poor decisions, that somehow God continues to listen to their cries. That when you're sitting in the cell and you know that you have done wrong, God is still listening. When you're facing the consequences of your poor decisions, God is still there. He still hears our desperate cries. And I got to be honest, when I read stuff like this and, you know, if you, <clears throat> if you're used to, or maybe you just think of God as, well, of course he loves me. Of course he's going to forgive me. Just think about if you treated your friends the way that we treat God, um, how would they respond? Or if your friends treated you the way that you treat God, how would you respond? Because I got to be pretty honest. If, um, if I had like this super important, powerful friend that I could call and get out of trouble, but I ignored him 99% of my life and did absolutely the opposite of what he told me to do, when he picked up the phone because I'm in trouble and I need him to bail me out, you know what I would do? You're dumb. <laughs> Later, I don't want anything to do with you. Don't call me when you're in trouble. And yet, God says, I still hear your cries. You get yourself in a mess, and I am still here. And this is one of the reasons why some of us have avoided God or avoided church for so long is because we feel this. We, we know that we've screwed up. We know that we've promised God our lives are going to turn around if you help me, and then he helps us, and then we go and continue to do what we were doing before. And so we're a little bit embarrassed maybe to talk to God. We're not really sure how God's going to respond to us. And so we've kind of been avoiding. We've been running away from God for a little while now because we know that we've done wrong. Well, Jonah says, I got myself into this mess. I rebelled against God. And yet, when I called out for his help, he still listens to me. He continues on in verse 3. He says, you hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas. And the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. And so what he's really saying here is he's saying that, God, you have punished me and I deserved it. That I got thrown overboard and I got swallowed up by this fish and I understand it was all the consequence of my rebellion from me running away from you. And so what Jonah is doing here is, and we would miss it if we went by it too quickly, is he's acknowledging two really profound truths that most people are unwilling to admit. First thing that he admits is that, um, that there is such thing as divine justice. There is such thing as divine justice. And what I mean by this is that there is a God who will punish wrongdoings. And see, all of us, when we think about this, we don't really, we do and we don't like the idea that there is a God who, who, who judges. Because we've always said like, well, you know, don't judge me and don't tell me. And so we, we, we kind of are resistant to it. But if you think about it, we really desire a God who judges. We really want that in the world. In fact, I was listening to a, a conservative Jewish commentator, not a Christian, and he said the main reason why he believes that God exists is because if God did not exist, that means there's no ultimate justice in the world. That, that means that Mother Teresa and Hitler will both have the same ending. And he said, that cannot be. There is something so strong within me that desires justice that if there is no God and that justice doesn't exist, this is not a world worth living in. 
is that you and I, um, we like the idea of justice because I don't know about you guys, I love watching these crime shows and things like that. And when someone does something wrong, like really, really wrong, usually it has to do with abusing a child or hurting a child or even killing a child. When that happens, I pray that God gets a hold of them. I want there to be justice because there are, there are going to be, and this is how most of the world operates, is most of the world will not experience justice here on this earth. If you go to a third world country, they don't have the police like we have. They don't have jails like we have. They don't have any of those things. It's, it's might makes right. And so what ends up happening is these people suffer. They suffer their entire lives and they die. And whoever has been persecuting them, has been abusing them, they get away with it. See, this is, this, if this is the world that we live in, this is a very dark place. I'm, I've uh, talked to kids who uh, made it and, and survived through the war in Uganda where they were abducted, they were uh, oftentimes raped, they were forced to kill their own family members, and the people who did this to them will never come to justice in this world. And so when I look at that, I pray, Lord, I pray that you will have your justice served. But here's the problem. We like that idea. We want there to be justice in the end. We just don't want it for ourselves. Is we go, yeah, God, that's great. Like, I get it. You know what? You need to punish those people. And so here's what we usually do, is we usually draw a line between where we want God to punish and not. And guess what? And so we'll say, okay, God, you need to punish everybody on this side of the line. That's where like Hitler and all the warlords and all those people are. And then everybody on this side kind of give them like an, ah, it's cool. And guess which side you're always on? is cool, right? That's always the side that we are on. And so Jonah realizes there is divine justice in the end, but not only that, but that he is deserving of that justice, that he has screwed up. And if you look at Jonah's sin, it is not like he went out and murdered somebody. He simply refused to do what God asked him to do, which is each one of our stories, is all of us have continued to reject God's call on our life, big or small, and we continue to go our own way. And that's what the essence of sin is. It's a rebellion against God's uh, will. And so Jonah, he ends, up, um, he ends up not only acknowledging that there is this divine justice and that, he, and that he is deserving of it. And here's what I think is most interesting. And this is kind of one of the bigger points of the story. Is it's not until Jonah realizes how much he has screwed up that he is in fact at fault for the consequences he's experiencing. And it's not until he has a true view of himself that he gets to see how amazing God's grace is. Because the truth is about most of us is we don't feel like we need God's grace. There's a couple moments in our life where we really screw up. And in those brief moments, we go, oh, Lord, I need your help. And we just feel shame and guilt. But we can quickly talk ourselves out of it. It's not until Jonah realizes, I have screwed up royally, and the only way that I'm going to get out of this is not me earning it. It's not by me making it better. I can't escape these consequences. It is only through surrender. And see, the, the story where uh, Jonah, at least we see, it's kind of a roller coaster, but in this moment, we see that um, the freedom that Jonah is looking for was not found in the moment in which that fish finally threw him up and let him go. The moment that he found the freedom he was looking for was the moment that he finally surrendered to God and said, okay, I'm not running anymore. I'm not going to rebel any longer. And see, I see people running their entire lives. They're looking for some kind of, of freedom. And I see this when 
people are pursuing a new relationship, a new job. They move to a new location. They got to get a new church. They got to get a new group of friends. They got to, and I just watch them and I go, do you realize that you are running? You're running. You continue to run and you're not going to find that freedom that you really want until you just surrender and say, you know what? What I'm running from is my own stuff, my own inadequacies, my own, my own mess. And so I got to finally surrender and say, okay, God, I'm tired of running. And so we see here that, uh, that God's discipline is thorough, that God's discipline is thorough, that he doesn't wink at any of our, our misdeeds. He doesn't look at us and go like, ah, I get it, fool, it's cold, you know, like he doesn't do that. He looks at us and goes, okay, we're going to have to address this issue here. And the reason why is, and let me see if I can illustrate this. Let's just imagine, this is not in the story, but let's just imagine this, is let's put ourselves in the scene where Jonah is on the ship and he tells the sailors, you're going to have to throw me over if you want to calm this storm. And so they pick him up and I'm guessing they kind of pick him up by his uh, hands and legs and they're like, all right, here we go, one, two, and then they let him go over the rail. And as he's going over the rail, he hits the water and then this fish comes up, swallows him. Here's the question that I have for you. At what point in this story did Jonah break and repent? When did he finally acknowledge, Lord, I've been running from you. I screwed up. I give in. I surrender. Do you think it was like, like day, day one where he's just going, oh, this is, this is not the jam, right? This is not the place I want to be right now. Was it day two in which he's like, well, this is old, <laughs> you know? Was it day three? Did he finally go, all right, that, I'm willing to bet, and this is not in the story, I'm just guessing because this has been my experience. I'm willing to bet that it was before he hit the water, he started, he, he instantly knew, I screwed up. Like, I messed up, because like, he knew what was, he's like, I'm in cold, it's a storm, I'm out in the middle of nowhere. Oh man, that's like, have you ever had instant regret before? And what you do something and instantly you know this was the wrong decision right now. Like, I should not be dating them. I should not be here. I should not be with these people. This tattoo, I'm going to regret. Like, I should not. Oh, instantly, you know. And there's just like, and you found yourself in the middle of it. I would imagine that this is what Jonah is experiencing, is he's experiencing this instant regret. Now, here's what's kind of crazy to me. God knows that, right? God knows instantly as he's heading into the water, Wow, this what I should have listened to God. He knows Jonah's heart. And yet, it's not like he goes, okay, bring him back in the boat. He gets it. You know, like, fish him on in. Come on, Jonah, get back. You silly goose. Come on in. You know, that's not what happens. What happens is he ends up getting swallowed by a fish and spends three days and three nights in this thing. Why would God do that? He already knew that Jonah had learned his lesson, that he knew that he should have done different. I think it's because we associate pain with our rebellion. We end up experiencing these consequences of having pains and scars because of our bad decisions so that we remember not to do it again. Because if Jonah got thrown over and he's like, I'm my bad, and they brought him back in, I don't think that would last very long. I don't think, it, I don't think he would learn his lesson. I think God's going, I need to make sure that you get this, that you understand the seriousness of, of what, what's going on here. And so growing up, um, the, the, the two or three times that I got in trouble in my life, um, I, would, uh, I would get threatened because my dad would be at work and so it would be my mom usually. 
And so it worked for a while, you know, she'd threaten me, okay, you're gonna get in trouble, blah, blah, blah. But eventually I came to the age in which she didn't scare me anymore. You know, where you're like, mom, I could take you. So like, this isn't that scary. You know, like, like we could wrestle right now. I'm for sure I could put you in a headlock. You know, like, and so then her threats became kind of hollow and I'm like, okay, mom. And so here's what she began to do is instead of her threatening me, she would say, wait until your dad gets home. Now, he could take me. He can't anymore, trust me. I'll break that old man's hip. But he could take me back then. You could tell him I said that. I don't care. Say what I want. Um, and so what would happen is, be the end of the day, Mom, I don't even care what you have to say. And then I hear that front door open. And all of a sudden, when that front door would open, I would become a new man. I went from like, I am like a straight thug to, uh, you know, we should probably talk about what I did earlier because I'm really feeling like I need to apologize for some things, you know? Like I may have said some things in the moment in which I now regret, okay? And so we need to talk about that. And instead of them going, okay, let's talk about it, you know, okay, you, you, know, you told your mom, headlock, okay, get it, I get it, fine. Instead of my dad going, it's fine, don't worry about it, I get it. just don't put her in headlocks anymore and we'll be fine and everything will be good. That's not what would happen. What would happen is, even though I instantly knew, wow, I have made a mistake, my dad would continue to, um, would, would still continue with the punishment because he wanted to make sure that I had learned my lesson. Instantly, I knew I messed up, but that didn't mean that I didn't get to experience the consequences of it. And this is true of every arena of our life. I, I watch these prison shows all the time, and you see these people who in court immediately know, I messed up. And the judge does not go, all right, go home, silly. Go home, it's fine. No, the judge goes, okay, cool. So now you have 10 years in prison to think about how you messed up. And it's because we associate our pain with our rebellion. God is the same way. Is he, doesn't, he doesn't allow or, or, or allow us to experience the consequences of our decisions because he wants to punish us. Because he wants it to be a reminder that running away from him specifically is going to be painful. It's always going to end in pain. And so he'll allow us to run for a while. And then when we experience those consequences, hopefully we'll be paying attention and we'll go, I don't want to experience those anymore. And so next time I'm not running from what God has for me. I'm going to run towards him because there's pain in that direction. Continues on in verse five, he says, uh, the engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath me uh, barred me in forever. Really what he's saying was, it is rough in there. I mean, think about it. He even says there's seaweed around my neck. Think about it. You're in the belly of a fish. So whatever it is eaten is surrounding you. It's dark. It's scary. I'm guessing there's not a whole lot of wiggle room in there. It is a rough place to be. But he continues on. He says, but you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. He says, in the midst of this terrifying experience where it is dark and it is lonely, when I had hit rock bottom, you still were there. And the next verse describes the dilemma that I think every person who's running from God faces. And it's not just a probably the most important part of, of this section of the story. It's pretty much the theme of the Bible. It is like the, the running theme that we see throughout the entire scriptures is this next part, and Jonah summarizes it into one sentence. Here's what it says. It says, verse 8, those who cling 
to worthless, worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. And so when we hear this word idols, we think of like this old school, like, you know, figurines, whatever. And really, when the Bible talks about idols, what it's talking about is anything that you find more important than God. It is what your heart truly desires, what it is actually after. It's where you find your, your identity and your purpose and your worth and your meaning. That is the thing that is your idol. Anything that you find more important than God is an idol. And so he says, uh, he says that these things, these idols, whatever it may be, and for me, I, I pretty much acknowledge that the thing that I struggle with being my idol is my family, is my wife and my kids. That is the thing that I, I really struggle with um, not making the most important thing of my life. They are near the top, but they fight for that number one spot between them and God. For you, it could be anything. It could be a hobby. It could be a relationship. It could be future hopes and dreams. It could be anything that you're trying to um, grasp onto and make the center of your life. And Jonah says this. He says, if you make any of those things the ultimate aim of your life instead of God, however good those things may be, however much you should pursue those things, and, and God has given you those things, but if you make those things the ultimate aim instead of God, you will find at the end of the day that they are worthless. It's not, again, because they're not important. My family is very important. They are a gift from God. But he says, at the end of the day, you will say that those things are worthless because they cannot save you. See, here's how I know this to be true and you know this to be true. And I think everybody in the room can agree this. It's because in the moments of our deepest despair, when we are broken and we are afraid, we do not cry out for those things. I've, I've been to a lot of hospital visits before. I've seen a lot of tragedies as a pastor. And I have yet to hear someone at the hospital pleading for their car, their job, their achievements, or notoriety to save their loved one. I've yet to hear that. See, because when they're in those moments, there's something that happens when you're in the moment of, of tragedy or despair or you, you have nowhere to turn. Is What's interesting is it's actually a moment of clarity for the priorities of your life. And I don't know if you've ever been there before, and unfortunately, you probably will be there at some point in your life, but when you experience that, everything that you thought was important will just dissolve. It'll be gone. And the things that are most important in life will be laid bare. And so that's why I've never heard someone pray to their house or to their car or to their job to save them. It has always been, Lord, I don't even know if you're there, but I need you right now. And that's what's happening with Jonah. He's here and he has nothing left. And he realizes whatever I have going in my life in this moment means nothing. It's all worthless. The only thing that matters is, God, do you hear me or not? Can you save me? Verse 9, but I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish. And it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. And so we see that he finally surrenders. And in that moment of surrender, God finally delivers him from this, this prison that he has found himself in. And here's the coolest part. Is it says that the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Now, we can assume that he's going to take God a little bit more serious this time because God's given him a second chance. Like, okay, I learned that if I don't listen, this is not going to turn out well. And so next week we'll follow up with that. But here's how I want to kind of end this with. Here's a verse 2. It says, Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. 
Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. And so part of what's happening here is this idea that Jonah has realized, well, Jonah has run. That's all of us. Jonah experiences the consequences of running away from God. That's all of us. And if you haven't yet, you will. And then Jonah finally realizes that he screwed up and he does this thing called repentance. He turns away from the place that he was heading and he goes to where God has called him. And that should be all of us as well. And so there might be some of you guys in this room and you're like, okay, look, um, I don't even know how I ended up here. Like my friend just said, there'd be someone cute that they wanted to see and blah, blah, blah. And now you're telling about repentance and all this craziness and I don't even know. And here's what I want to just acknowledge is if you feel in your heart right now that you're like, oh, dude, I think he's talking to me. I think that's my life. I think that's my relationship with God. And oh, this guy's bugging me. I just want to tell you this. I don't know you, you don't know me, and so if you're wrestling with this right now and you're going, ah, is that me? Am I running from God? You're not wrestling with me, you're wrestling with God. If you feel that inside and you're like, oh, gosh, don't blame it on me. That's between you and God. And so some of you guys need to acknowledge, all right, I've been running for a while and i got to stop running. I have to surrender. Some of us, we've been, uh, been kind of half in and half out. We've been trying to keep a section of our life to ourselves, and then we're trying to keep this over here. And God is eventually going to go, you know, you're going to have to surrender that, right? The sooner the better. And so here's what I want to give you an opportunity to do is I want you to have the, the, the space and the freedom in these next couple of moments as I pray for you to talk to God and for you to say, Lord, I, I surrender. I don't want to do this any longer. And maybe it's because you know there's consequences coming, and, you know, that's kind of part of the deal. Or maybe it's because you want to experience that freedom where you finally surrender and, and you don't have to live this life for yourself anymore. And so if that's you, I pray that you would pray that prayer as I'm praying and, and that you would tell somebody in here, a leader, that you would tell me that you would come and, and that you would get plugged in here. And the other thing is this, is there's a lot of people who um, we know in our own families and in our own world in which they are all running and they're running hard and fast away from God. And that's what this place is created for is it's created for young people where they can come and they can ask questions and they can wrestle with this kind of stuff and hopefully that God will grab hold of them and that he will bring them into a relationship with him. And so if you have people like that, we encourage you every single week, bring them here, especially in the next couple of weeks um, because we believe that God's trying to get a hold of them. So let's pray. Lord God, um, we just pray right now. Some of us, we are runners and we are in the middle of running and we're not even sure how we got here and... There is this battle internally that we are struggling with right now in which we, we know that you are calling us. We know that you have a plan for our lives and we know that we have gone our own way. And Lord God, we just surrender right now. And we just say, you know what? I'm tired of running. I'm tired of going my own way. I want to give my life over to you. I want to follow you, Lord. And so some of us, we need to make that prayer for the first time, and I pray that you would hear these prayers internally right now as we, as we say them to you. Some of us, we've been holding something back, and we need to finally surrender that thing to you. And so, Lord God, um, I pray for those of us in this room right now who might be experiencing that, that you would bring this, this freedom that comes with that surrender. And I also pray for the people who aren't here yet, is there are so many of our friends who are running, and they're running hard from you, whether they know it or not. And Lord, we care for them. We love them. We want to see them come into a relationship with you. And so, Lord, we just pray that you would be working on their hearts right now and that you would give us the courage and the strength to be able to just simply invite them here. And that if that 
that happens, that you would grab hold of them and that you would help them to come into a relationship with you. And so, Lord God, we thank you. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen.